And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. All right. So we use all kinds of software platforms, all kinds of stuff at our business. You know, in fact, the average business is using a double digit number of software platforms. And it, and so many of them, when you look at them, you're like, gosh, why can't I get my payroll in here? Why can't I figure out a better, cleaner, faster way to get the payroll needs added in to the software platform that I'm either building, running, or using. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io, which by the way, as as of the recording date, it's Fullscale's fourth birthday. So happy birthday, Fullscale. Uh, hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and also has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. With me today, I've got Andrew Brown, and Andrew is the CEO and co-founder of Check. You can go to checkhq.com. There's a link in the show notes for that and learn all about what they do. They are a very, very venture-backed company with a very sophisticated software platform straight out of New York, New York. Andrew, welcome to Startup Hustle. Appreciate you having me on. Excited to be here today. Yeah, you know, I want to hear a little bit more. But you know, as I mentioned in the intro, there's I think everyone that that ha- that builds different platforms and uses different stuff has this need for payroll and HR infusion into what they're building. But adding that in, it can be a whole. It's like a whole separate can of worms, as you're very much aware as the as the co-founder at, at Check. But let's get a little bit of your backstory and br- what brought you to where you are today with the company. Yeah, absolutely. So um, first, just to make sure we're talking about the same thing, you know, check what we are. We're an embedded payroll platform. So we're a platform that folks build on top of to create new payroll products and services. Um, that's most people, it's probably not the first type of company they would uh, would think to start. <laughs> you know, the way that I, I came into this space is I'm a developer by background. I was running a, a, a different business before in the consumer space called Oyster uh, that I ultimately sold to Google. Um, and coming out of that business, uh, I, I felt like running a media company was interesting. But as a developer, I really wanted to be running a software business and, and building infrastructure and services that other folks could build on top of. Um when I looked around at you know the way software was working, um, what I found was that payroll was really this unmet need for so many companies, especially in the real world. Um, you know, payroll for software engineers is one thing, but if you're running a restaurant or you're running a you know plumbing business, or you, know, you generally you know have you know blue collar workers who have you know tips and bonuses and commissions, there wasn't software that really met the needs of uh, of those types of folks and those business owners. And so we built Check as a platform that uh, the Berkeley SaaS companies and others can build on top of, you know, to offer payroll products to their customers. So, you know, you talk about this, well, so Stripe, 
was one of the the lead investors in a $75 million round. That's right, folks, 75 with an M behind it. And, you know, Stripe really hit the scene by doing something that's probably what caught it, their interest in you is they made it so much easier for developers to actually put, just pay, just be, be able to collect payments. And I think that if you're new to tech startups and you're just now integrating anything payroll, you may not, or anything payment collection, you may not have an appreciation for what a pain in the butt that was eight or 10 years ago. And, you know, so with, with check is this, you mentioned building on top of what, like, what was the biggest problem that, that software platforms have? And like, what, I mean, what was the real obstacle in, in doing any of the stuff that check is, is solving the problem for? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to explain two pieces here. One is the customer problem they have, and then one is actually why payroll is really hard. So first of all, the customer problem. Imagine um, you know, Service Titan is uh, you know one of our important partners, um, and they power um, you know think HVAC installation, plumbing, you know local field services type businesses. Um, for them, those business owners come onto the Service Titan platform and they are managing their whole business there. It's how they, you know, do scheduling and time tracking of their employees. You know, you have an Uber-like experience to see, you know, the person coming to your house is the plumber, you know, there yet, that sort of thing. And what was happening though, they had the employee roster, they had all the time, but, you know, at the end of every week or end of every couple of weeks, the business owner basically just ended up with a flat file, like literally a CSV of here's my employees, here's the hours they worked, you know, maybe here's the bonuses and commissions they earned. Then it was basically up to the business owner to figure out, you know, what the heck to do with that in order to actually get their employees paid. And so they have to export it and go take it into some, you know, big legacy payroll provider and email them a file or upload it through some, you know, FTP system or something to, to try and make the whole thing work. And it's clearly an antiquated process, you know, not the way it should be. And so Service Titan wanted to say, hey, like, let's complete the process for payroll right here in our application. We've already got the data. Let's, you know, add a, a few buttons such that the, the business owner can say, great, this is all correct. Make payments and actually transfer all the funds, you know, to the employees and all the tax authorities. So that was the, the customer problem that they wanted to solve. Um, you know, your question's a good one, which is great. Why do they check for that? You know, why can't they just do that on their own? Um, and the answer is that payroll is one of the most complicated spaces you're going to find. It is crazy hyper local. So, uh, you know, we live in a country that doesn't just have one government. It doesn't even just have 50 at the state level. It has literally thousands of local governments. So I'll just take Pennsylvania as one example. They have payroll taxes that are all the way down to the school district level. A lot of places pay for schools based on um, property taxes, not Pennsylvania. They pay for schools based on payroll taxes. So that means as, uh, as a company that wants to offer a payroll service, you got to know what are all those different jurisdictions? What are those rates? How do you calculate them if someone you know lives in New Jersey but works in Pennsylvania or vice versa and the head company's headquartered somewhere else? How does that all factor together? And so, um, you know, if you sort of if you pull way back and think about like what's that relationship between the business and the employee? You know, probably a hundred years ago you could just hand cash to someone and and that was you know pretty much the end of it. Today that's just not true. It really is all those taxes that you got to withhold and all the benefits you got to deal with that make it complicated and that's where check comes in. Check is an abstraction layer and a platform that contains all of that complex regulatory knowledge, you know, inside of our business and so that our partners don't have to worry about that. They can just worry about the front end. You know, when you look and and, and well said 
because payroll really is for a lot of businesses, it's a real pain in the butt. And for the, all the mentioned, all the reasons you mentioned, how did the pandemic and people working suddenly working remote, how did you get up to speed with that? Cause I know a lot of businesses had a hard time because we're, so I'm in Kansas city and in Kansas city, there's this invisible line that splits the city in half and half of it's in Kansas and half of it's in Missouri. And we went from having people that were coming and working in one place, which was Kansas every day to now technically when they were staying at home, they were working in Missouri or wherever the hell they were. Did that throw a major curveball at you? Or was that something that was pretty easy to handle? I think in a lot of ways, it actually was a real um, advantage for our business because we you know, were developers by background. We approached this platform from the beginning as not we're only going to solve kind of one use case. It was we want to make sure that we can handle you know the most complex edge cases that our platform partners are going to throw at us. So dealing with you know multi-state taxation and people being in different places was something that we really already were able to handle. And so um, then as small business owners, you know so many of them still have you know paper processes, things coming out of Excel. You know I think folks sometimes imagine it's all you know uh, you know you know perfect software today. It really is not. And so as they realized during the pandemic, hey, actually this stuff is important. My life just got more complicated from how I pay people perspective, really drove them to, to go and sign up for the services that, uh, that our customers are offering. So you, you've been quoted as talking about the future payroll as personalized and embedded. Uh, tell, tell me more about what you mean with that. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll start on embedded and then go to personalized. What sure. I mean by embedded is that as a business owner, especially imagine you're starting up you know, a new coffee shop, a new local business. You no longer, you know, as we go forward here, are going to be signing up for, you know, a bank account in one place and then signing up to like accept payments somewhere else and then maybe do your accounting somewhere else and then lastly go sign up for, for a third payroll provider. It's just not the way it's going to work. You're going to go to one platform that knows your business and has an all-in-one system for managing it. And it's going to you know, help you manage your workforce. It's going to provide financial services to you. And those are all going to be embedded in that one application. And so um, the payroll piece of that is what check powers. Our view is that payroll is not going to be this separate thing you go sign up for. It's actually going to be deeply linked in you know, to that service that really is the system of record for your business. Um, and that's a, frankly, that just hasn't existed in the past. It's a massive sea change for how these businesses think about, you know, operating compared to what they've been doing for the last, you know, five, 10, 20 plus years. Um, it always surprises me. I, I talk to these folks and, you know, many of them have an office manager or business admin, and these are small companies, you know, 10, 15, 20 employees. Um, and they're still spending three, four or five hours every week or two munging data and spreadsheets and double checking numbers, you know, all just to do the basics of, of getting their teams paid. And so by embedding it in that system of record, you can really cut out an awful lot of that and, and make it much more automated. So this is a, a founder to founder question here, because, you know, I, so some of the earliest advice that I got as a startup founder was to, and this sounds weird at first, was to consider the cowardly approach meaning like, don't take on the giants. Don't like, don't be like, Hey, I'm going to take on Amazon and Google or, or whatever. Now you d took the opposite approach because you were immediately competing with some pretty big Titans, right? I mean, just meaning like there's a lot of well entrenched, large publicly traded companies that deal that have their own payroll technology 
or process payroll or whatever. Did, did that feel intimidating in the beginning of this? Or did you see that they were perhaps not able to be as agile or, or weren't as equipped to fill in some of the gaps that smaller, that small businesses needed? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I'm going to actually disagree with you a little bit on the approach that we took because there are absolutely, there's a ton of payroll companies out there. Many of them are large, you know, $10 billion plus yeah. publicly traded companies. And it's an industry that's been around a long time. So there's no question about that. But I think when you really dig into the space, it really surprises people. Um, while they are large on an absolute basis, they're all actually reasonably small from a market share perspective. So ADP is the biggest company in the space. It's close to a hundred billion dollar market cap. They've got maybe fifteen percent of the market actually, uh, okay. and everyone else is substantially less than that. And so when I looked at it, what I saw was two things. I saw a really big market um, that had you know a lot of players in it, none of which was. Um, was dominant. There wasn't any, you know, giant player that could sort of box out, you know, a new entrant. Um, and I also saw a space that was dominated mostly by legacy incumbents. And that as a, a, you know, new startup player, we could actually build a business bottoms up, like honestly not worrying so much about competition. If we, you know, find our customers, meet their needs, help them provide great services to the businesses on their platform. You know, I felt like we'd do well. So when it comes to what you do, and, and by the way, that's a, that's a great answer. I didn't realize that I look at an industry like payroll and, you know, the question is, is how much meat's on the bone and, you know, who, and who's consuming it, you know, 15%, while that's a, a big chunk of market share that there's a lot, a lot more out there. And that's the, and ADP is the biggest one at 15%. Correct. Yeah. Everyone else is, you know, sub 10 and, and even most of the big ones that are, you know, 10 plus billion dollar companies are sub five. They're, you know, one, two, three, 4%, that sort of thing. Sure. And this comment isn't directed to anybody in the industry, but sometimes in, in a lot of different industries, when you get the, you mentioned like legacy players that come in, um, they oftentimes have a hard time, you know, like just adjusting or adapting or sometimes have, aren't that innovative. Um, they, they have become, uh, they're, they're ripe for disruption is a fair way to put it. And, you know, you could say the same thing with a company like Stripe entering, uh, you know, entering an industry where, you know, payment processing was pretty much, uh, you know, there's only a couple players in there. And then there's a zillion little microprocessors underneath that. But, you know, where's your problem and what do you solve? So when you look at something, for those of you listening, I keep let's go back to what Andrew was talking about. And he's using the example of in Pennsylvania of these little tiny changes that occur. And then all of a sudden you have to now, just in the United States, you have to take into consideration any federal changes, any state changes, any local changes. And they're all, they're all very, very different. When you were in the beginning phases of this, did you just begin with one state or did you have to like, I mean, how do you go about it? Because, you know, they say you got to eat the elephant one bite at a time. Where, where did you sink your teeth in first? Yeah. <laughs> Eating the elephant one bite at the time is uh, an awesome way to put exactly right. how you have to go about tackling this problem. Um, so yeah, we, we did a few things and, and you had to take one step at a time. The first thing is we said we were going to run on our own payroll system from day one, full stop. So that meant myself, my co-founder, we weren't going to pay ourselves to take a paycheck until we could build the system to a point where it actually worked for us. Fair. Um, so you know that gives you pretty good motivation to actually build the thing out. Um, we happened to be based in New York, started the company here. And so New York was the first state that we supported. Um, 
we also are a distributed team though. And so our uh, first and second employees respectively were based in Atlanta and in San Francisco. So that meant we had to support three states, you know, pretty quickly within the first, you know, few months of, uh, of the business. And honestly, for the first year or two of the company, that was actually basically the approach we took. It was, you know, we were small, but we were five, eight, 10, 12 people. And, you know, spread across six, seven, eight states. It was every time we hired someone new, we would add support for that state and, and go one by one. Um, and that took a period of years. It was a full three-year journey for us to go from, uh, you know, starting standing start to being in all 50 states and, and actually running payroll across the whole country. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the last thing I'll say there, it's not something you can do as an individual. It's a team effort. And we realized that we had to... You know, we had to go do a lot of you know learning and reading and research. We needed to bring on experts as well. So we made a real point from early on bringing in folks who you know had been on compliance teams at you know the big scaled payroll companies, who had been on payroll operations teams at other places, and really you know marrying that knowledge in with the the product and engineering folks in the company to make sure that we could uh, could tackle these problems in the right way. Did you ever have a point or a situation where you're like? We haven't done North Dakota yet, and you actually hired someone there as an excuse to actually get that, put a check mark next to that. <laughs> I, I don't know about an excuse. We definitely had the reverse, which is like, oh, wait, we just found this, you know, amazing engineer, this amazing salesperson, and they live in, you know, North Dakota, wherever it was. Like, oh, wait, we don't support this yet. Like, we, I, multiple times we'd, you know, push someone's start date back a week or two to, to make sure that we actually had time to, to land it. Or in, in a couple of cases, our first employee comes to mind, you know, his first task was, Hey, you know, welcome to check. And by the way, if you want to get paid in two weeks, like you need to, you know, add support for your state, uh, by, uh, you know, by the time payday rolls around. So there was, you know, that's, what, every, the that's what everyone wants to hear on day one, right? Totally. It's, uh, you know, I think that's your normal, normal startup experience, but no, it's, a. Uh, you know, look, I think you know, we, we, we've been lucky to achieve a fair amount of success and, and scale now. And it's something I really actually like to remind the team of and harken back to in the, from the early days. You know, you don't you don't know how to do everything and you got to go just figure it out and throw yourself against it. And sometimes having, you know, external deadlines like, hey, you need to pay someone on your team is just an amazing forcing function for, for helping you to, you know, kind of figure out these problems that otherwise might seem intractable or like they're going to take a really long time. The, the, I can't, man, I got to tell you what, the, I'm sitting here still thinking about the complexity of keeping up with tax rate changes. Cause I think that, you know, like you look at any city and now they want to build a new stadium or the gas tax or this. And it's, you know, these, these are little fluctuations of like 0.05% here or there that don't, I don't know. I think as employees, we might not notice them the same way, but you got to, I mean, how do you even go about keeping track of that on a nationwide basis? Is there, is tax code is in volumes, not pages. Like it's in like true, true volumes. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. It's incredibly hard. Um, really what you have to do, first of all, it requires a team. So we have, you know, a team of folks who are, it's, it's our compliance team and all they do is they, uh, it's, it's legislative research. Um, keeping abreast of not only what are the current laws, but what are the ones that are coming down the pipeline? Because as you imagine, you know, those have a, a big impact on our, uh, our, you know, product and engineering roadmap. Um, you know, then translating those those laws and rules and regulations into, uh, you know, what are the rates and what are the things that we need to know so that we can actually implementing them, implement them, making sure our you know product and engine teams understand what's needed there, um, and then just doing that, you know, consistently and and repeatedly. Um, there's not a 
there's not one secret sauce, you know, it's not an AI algorithm where we, you know, know every rate it's, it's, you pay attention, you know, there are, there's a lot of them, but there are only so many States and there are only so many local places. Um, <laughs> the thing that I think most often surprises people is that you also, you often can't just like read the book either. Like you can't just even read the, the law that's been written. Cause you know, half the time the legislators writing it weren't, you know, a hundred percent clear on what it meant. So there's real <laughs> interpretation from, you know, on the part of the IRS or whatever the local agency is, that sort of thing. So there's a fair amount too, of calling up, you know, the person in, you know, Rhode Island who, you know, works in the tax collection office and saying, Hey, you know, we're implementing this. Should it work in way A or way B? You know, how do you interpret this and having back and forth there too? So that's the, that's the nuts and bolts of our business. I couldn't do it, man. I'm not that detail oriented. Once again, with me today, I've got Andrew Brown, the CEO and co-founder of Check. If you want to learn more about what they do, there's a link in the show notes, or you can go to checkschechq.com. And a really amazing and impressive company dealing with some really complex stuff. And I find it, you know, there's, there's so much, I want to talk a little bit about like the infrastructure and, and, and being that kind of a business before I do that. I want to remind everyone that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably use the fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Um, so when it comes my business partner at full scale and the person that founded this podcast with me, Matt Watson would be absolutely in love with this business. He will say, and don't take this the wrong way. I love boring businesses, the businesses that turn the gears, that tighten the bolts and do all of that. Um, so, you know, with that, you can look at some of these things and HR isn't sexy. Payroll isn't sexy. Um, the complexity of it might be for developers. And we were just talking about full scale, you know, helping people find developers. How did you go about recruiting, you know, your, your, and, uh, I don't, my notes say you have anywhere between hundred and 250 employees. So it's a pretty broad range, but how do you go about recruiting people for, because like I said, sometimes you, you're compete, you want top talent. You're sometimes competing against, things that, I don't know, on the surface, they sound a little more fun than HR. So what was your approach to getting the right people in and on board? I completely agree with you, by the way. Uh, yeah, payroll is not the sexiest business. It's uh, it's conceptually pretty boring. But the way we've you know convinced people to come and join more than anything else is actually based on you know, really the importance of the work and actually how interesting it is once you dig into it. When you think about, you know, the type of software that a lot of people write, and you know, I've written a lot of the software myself, it's, you know, web apps, it's mobile apps, uh, you know, things like that. Like they're interesting services to build, to be sure, but they don't necessarily intersect and impact the real world and people's lives. You know, at Check, it is very obvious, you know, every day and, and especially on Fridays and um, you know, if we don't do our job well, we hear about it. And and not just, you know, if if you haven't paid someone, but if it's an hour later than, you know, they were expecting it to, you know, a lot of people are living pay, pay, paycheck to paycheck. If pay, payday is late, like they might not make it to work that day because they may not be able to yeah. put gas in their car. They might lose their job as a result, you know, and that is, you know, that is, um, it's a real responsibility to take on, but it's a lot of fun too, to realize the impact that you're having in that regard. Um, if you pull even further back than that, recognizing that 
in a lot of ways, what I tell folks who are joining our team is we're really, you know, imagine a, a kind of benevolent, you know, technologist who's actually in charge of, of, you know, the whole U.S., you know, the system that they would put in place on top of it to, you know, kind of calculate and, and collect and file taxes is basically what Check is is trying to build. And that's a pretty hairy, pretty audacious thing to uh, to go after. You know, the payroll system in this country moves $10 trillion a year. Uh, you know, we, we do, you know, increasingly large portion of that. And so uh, it's, it's pretty gnarly, pretty fun technical problems to get into. And, you know, that attracts a certain type of person. Yeah, I think that, you know, one thing I've learned from hiring developers at full scale is that it's not always about the money. So we'll first give them that to get that out of the way. But developers like to be challenged. They want to do complex things and like the really good ones do. And there's, I think once you get below the hood, you'd see, oh, wow, there's a lot, there's a lot of math. There's a lot of complexity here. This isn't boring. Um, uh, you know, it's, but, but it's, it's so interesting that so many, I think that the modern consumer and user of just the internet and software often underappreciates the complexity of certain things. And I'm, you know, I'm also the founder of gigabook.com, which is a fully customizable booking platform. And, you know, the people think that when you, you build one layer of software and they think, oh, well, it's time for the next layer. And that's just the equal level of complexity. It's not, it, it, it becomes exponential every time you stack a new thing on and man, I can only imagine the if thens um, at check HQ.com. It's the same thing with scheduling. It's like people look at it and they're like, well, this should, this should be, you know, be easier putting something on a calendar or taking it off. Okay. That is not hard. It's the 10 billion things and the if thens and the way they interact with each other and that spider web it creates. And I'll tell you what, don't mess with people's money. If you get someone's pay, I can, we, as we were building Gigabook, we would, in the earlier stages of any software platform where you're often stabilizing things and learning what you need to learn, uh, we would know if it was broken because our phone would go ape. Like it would go from not ringing at all to all of a sudden it's like ring, 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 ring. And it's like, almost, it's like, you know, at that point, that's like, you don't, you don't need an application performance management platform or a bug checker or anything to tell you that there's something wrong because the phone will, or, or your inbox or whatever, however it is that I'm assuming that was probably the same way for there's, you along the way. There's no question. And, and, and in payroll, you know, you get it from all angles too. Cause certainly, you know, on the employee side, you also get it from the business owner side and then you got yeah. the government coming after you too. talk oh, about yeah. don't mix with people's money. You know, the yeah. IRS is uh, not very understanding if, uh, if they don't get their money. Right. So, uh, you know, you got to be able to deal with all of those parties properly. And that still leaves out our actual customer, you know, the, the software platforms that are building on top of us who, uh, you know, who are obviously the folks we deal with most closely as well. So you've had a lot of success when it comes to fundraising and, you know, correct me if this is, if, if this is inaccurate, but my notes show 119 million plus uh, over four rounds Um and, you know, with the recent Series C uh, led by Stripe, how difficult was was it for you to raise money in the very beginning phases? Like, you know, I so said you're sailing into this headwind and investors say things. This is a crowded marketplace. There's an 800 pound gorilla over there and over here and over there. How are you going to compete with this? Like. Uh, how did, how, how was the very initial rounds, uh, you know, how did those go for you? Did it get easier or more challenging over time? 
Yeah. Um, I think we've been really fortunate from a fundraising perspective, which is uh, I, I'm a second time founder uh, and, and sold my first business to Google. And so as a result of doing that, you know, we had a fair amount of credibility in the space and frankly, a fair amount of relationships in the space too. So my our first two rounds were led by Bedrock, which is run by a guy named Eric Stromberg, who was my co-founder at my first business. And, you know, we're super close friends as well. So, uh, you know, having, you know, some of that track record and those relationships made it, you know, a whole lot easier as we were getting going. I think the other thing that really benefited us is I think it actually, investors were not scared away by it being a big and complex space. That's what got them excited. It said, hold up, you're tackling a, you know, multi-hundred billion dollar industry, one that is still dominated primarily by incumbents that are, you know, many decades, if not approaching a century old um, and actually doing it in a way that no one else is approaching it right now. Every All the other payroll companies are either services businesses or product businesses. No one has really built a platform payroll company. Um, you know, If that works, that's going to be clearly a you know, $25 billion plus business. That's the type of bet that you know, the venture capitalists like to make. So uh, I think in, in the early days, we, we didn't find the fundraising to be, to be all that difficult. You know, as, as time went on, you know, it goes from being an idea to obviously being a business and you have to actually show, you know, the traction and the metrics. And so it, in that regard, I would say it got more challenging. Um, that said, we've been uh, you know, really fortunate for the business to have really, I think, largely played out the way we expected, uh, you know, when we when we first entered it. And so, uh, you know, have continued to have have success along the way there. What's a, what's a tip that you could give for any founder when it comes to raising capital? Like what are, what are some of the things that you think that you did or really just the best advice you could give to a listener that that's tr trying to raise money at any stage? Yeah. I think the first thing is about a mindset. Sometimes founders approach fundraising with a um, scarcity mindset, which is, oh, like I don't have capital today. I need capital. Like, where am I going to get it? You know, what investor might give it to me? I think when you do that, you're, you're already starting totally on the wrong foot. You need to start from a position of, I have an incredible business here. You know, we are going to build an amazing company and the investors who get to be a part of that are, you know, incredibly fortunate to be able to, you know, benefit from the fruits of, you know, our hard work and, and all the, the, the work that the folks on the team are doing. And so, you know, you really want to put yourself in a position to, um, in many ways, actually being selective about, you know, the folks who you want to bring on that journey with you, because they're going to have a big impact on it along the way too. You know, it's a, it's a lot easier to get divorced than it is to, to switch out, you know, one of your investors or, or one of your board members. And so I think really approaching it, you know, with that mindset of, Hey, do I want to work with this person for the next, you know, 10 plus years and have them be, you know, uh, on a you know weekly, if not daily basis, someone that's going to be having, you know, big influence on, you know, the future of my company. That's where I start. And, you know, it's, it's a privileged position to be able to do that. But I actually think when you start with that mindset, it has its own um, sort of self-fulfilling prophecy effect where investors see that, they understand that, they, they're attracted to your own confidence and belief in your business. And, and, and you know, then it, it all works out better from there. You, you said something in there that I, in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, I've got a whole section and it's, it's easier to get rid of your uh, spouse or partner than your business partner. No you question. Know, like, yeah, I mean, it's and maybe even less expensive. You never know. Do, do you know they actually have um, uh, couples counseling for business partners now? 
Do they really? Yeah, they have it for business <laughs> I hope partners. that is something just, I never even, need. Yeah. yeah well, right. True. But yeah, they have it and it's a need. And but the same thing goes for investors. And once you yeah. get people on your cap table, it can be a real challenge. Uh, do you have any funny stories or anything you can share about uh, about raising capital? One of the, I, I put it this way. Everyone's blown a presentation or a deal or just like, you know, like chase, chase the rabbit down the absolute wrong hole. Do you have any funny stories or fails that you'd be willing to share? <laughs> oh man. Let me think about this one. Um, our fundraisers truly have been pretty straightforward. Um, look, I, I think here's, here's how I, I think about it. Um, to me, like the, the hardest parts with our fundraisers have, have honestly always been about navigating, like how to keep folks happy. And, um, you know, in our case, actually, investors are really important folks for sending customers our way. Um, working with Jack is a big strategic decision. So even if you're not going to be investing in our company, I still want to maintain, you know, a, a really good relationship with you and that you have a positive, you know, kind of association with the company, the whole thing. And so uh, I've definitely gotten myself into to one or two sticky situations where you're in the middle of a fundraise and things are moving quickly. And, you know, you set up a meeting with a, you know, a big name firm. And then kind of the process gets out ahead. And so in, at least in one case, we had signed a term sheet uh, ahead of time. And then, you know, I went into this meeting with the big name firm and wasn't, uh, you know, lying or anything. I was direct to them like, hey, we already signed the term sheet. But when you start the meeting on on that footing, uh, they're like, hold on, like, why are we meeting here? What's going on? So that that was not great. I, in retrospect, I would probably would have handled that one a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, that's probably the best one I got. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So, so much is, I'm just kind of looking for your, your uh, opinion on this. You know, there's a lot of, uh, and I normally don't date episodes when, uh, you know, we're recording this at the end of June. This isn't going to be out until, you know, roughly August. And the, you know, the, the landscape of things can change pretty quickly, but we came into 2022 with people feeling bullish about life, both markets, everything, crypto, you name it, all like running hot. And then we get into the second quarter and things have started to crumble. There's a lot of, uh, you know, depreciation and valuations from companies. You hear all this stuff about, oh, venture capital is slowing down and, and all of it. I'm personally of the belief that great companies with great founders and great teams are going to still get funded regardless of market conditions. How do you feel about, and you know, some of it too has also been industry. Like you look at InsureTech, oh my. You know, there's, I mean, there's things in InsureTech that went IPO and they're at 10% of, of what they came out, out with. What's your, uh, what's your outlook on, on VC funding and maybe even just FinTech in general going forward? Is it rocky? Is it like, I don't know, you tell me. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge long-term bull on FinTech for sure. Um, that said, there's no question that the last six months have been, you know, a huge sea change in just the perception from everyone involved in the industry, investors, operators, you know, all, all around. Clearly, the playing field today looks a lot different than, than it did in, you know, November or December of last year. Um, at the same time, I mean, what you said is unequivocally true. Great businesses at the end of the day can be built in any market. In many cases, I think the best businesses are actually built in lean times because it forces you to actually be efficient and build actually a business. You know, it's not just a company or a product or towards a vision. It's a real business, which, you know, I think at the end of the day, sometimes gets lost, uh, you know, when, when markets are, are really frothy and uh, and really hot. And so, I mean, that's the, the sort of the hat that I, I like to wear and that I, you know, remind our team about and talk to our investors about is 
I have no idea where the markets are going to be a year from now or two years from now or three years from now. But I know that if, you know, we're making money and we're growing quickly and we're serving our customers really well and, you know, working towards our, you know, multi-decade long vision, I don't know what our valuation will be when we raise the next round, but I know we'll be able to, I know we'll do really well and, you know, we'll, we'll stay on a, on a great trajectory over the long term. Yeah. I think that a lot of that news is very difficult to digest because, you know, they say, oh, the, the amount of dollars that go out. Okay. That tells me that there's more dry powder in BC bank accounts than, than before. Um, and then I think a lot of it is just really skewed because not all of us own a billion dollar business. You know, like, so, so those numbers can, 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 can look really weird if you look at them because, you know, you get companies like, I mean, Uber was about to go public and they're still referring to them as a startup. Like to (laughs) me, you're not a startup when your brand is, your brand name has become a verb. That's the, that's the, that's the criteria we decided a couple years ago on this show. If you, if the name of your company is often used as a verb, you are no longer a startup. Is that fair? I think uh, I'd probably go even wider than that. That is more than fair, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and to all of you listening, I hope the name of your company at some point becomes a verb because that means you've probably done something well. All right. So here we are at the end of another episode of Startup Hustle with me again today. I've got Andrew Brown, the CEO and co-founder of Check, checkhq.com. Go check it out. And with that, it is time for the Founders Freestyle. Before we move on to that, a quick reminder to that today's episode of Startup Hustle was powered by Fullscale.io. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit Fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team fullscale.io. It only takes like two minutes to fill out the form. Go do it, people. We talk to Startup Hustle listeners all the time. Now, I mentioned I end my episodes of Startup Hustle with the Founders Freestyle. My episodes, I'm not the only host. Make sure you tune in weekly and, and hear what Andrew Morgans is invariably saying about Amazon-related stuff or e-commerce. Join Lauren Conaway, the founder of Innovate Her, who talks about so many things that I'm afraid to touch on a public basis. And also join Matt Watson to talk about technology and his mostly weekly episodes. Now, Andrew, here we are at the end of the show. And, you know, as promised, I'd like to give you the mic and give you a chance to talk about anything that stood out during the show or, I mean, it's your freestyle. You get to choose what you do with it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, why don't I do this? I'll tie into the economic climate conversation we were just having with, uh, with our business and, and our customers. So, you know, the folks we work with and, and who check sells to are, are entrepreneurs. They're, they're innovators who are building, um, you know, new platforms to serve different types of small businesses. And, and then also staffing companies who are, uh, you know, serving, uh, you know, different segments of, uh, of the employer economy as well. Um, and the types of conversations we're having with those folks right now are twofold. It's around, you know, what are profitable growth avenues, you know, for my business um, on the platform side and on our direct business side, it's 
how do I save money? How can I, you know, grow my staffing business with fewer people and be more efficient at doing it? Um, and and those conversations are definitely different now than they were six months ago. And you know, the thing that we we've, we've seen with Check and and our big focus is on being you know amazing partners to the folks that we work with and really showing them that hey, the way to have profitable growth and the way to you know really succeed in this environment is to you know leverage platforms like Check, you know, leverage folks where you can um, you know enter new areas, you know, release new business lines, keep serving your customers customers well, you know, even through down markets and do it without having to build out, you know, massive teams on your side and, and, you know, really increase your burn rate. And so that's, you know, exactly what, uh, what check provides. And, you know, we're excited to, to keep working with, uh, with all the entrepreneurs who we power to help them build their business through this environment. Yeah, a couple of things stood out here. One, a, a, a reminder of the complexity of taxation and payroll providing, um, you know, I've given a lot of advice to people over the years that, you know, they try, don't do this shit in house people. It's not for you. It's not worth it. There's too much to keep up with and you're not going to get a positive ROE or ROI. Now, I also love it talking to any founders that, you know, your, your company's what, four years old. Is that correct? Yeah. About three and a half, three and a half, four years old. And you, you know, we talked about headwinds and like the idea that certain markets could be saturated and you know there's and i love i love the i love the approach of you know what that's not gonna worry me i'm not worried about the competition we're coming in we think we have a solution we have disruption we have value that we can add and provide and then going forward into that now with that you get a massive total addressable market i don't know are you only doing the united states or do you do other countries yeah we're we're u.s only for now and you've you've got I mean the world potentially, and that's Boy. you know everyone everyone that has a job gets paid yeah. somehow no. some way, and so you've got a lot to deal with there. I mean you've obviously had uh, you found traction and done a lot of great stuff, and you know been able to raise money, and a lot of times that you know this that part of it is intimidating when it comes to you know going against giants and. You know, I appreciate the the uh, the brave the brave approach there. Like I mentioned at the beginning, that you know I had received the whole the whole idea of the cowardly approach was that you can go somewhere, you do something that no one else is doing, and people leave you alone long enough to get really good at it. Now, you know that's there, there's a different approach for everyone, and you've clearly been successful with that. And then another thing is, I love any platform that people can build on top of and with in order to either improve their own business. Now, as someone who is a purveyor of software development services, I, I tell people all the time, you got to look at whether you want to buy it or build it. And there are, and we're in this golden age of tools, like similar to Check HQ, that are going to, you know, if you think about so someone out there listening is like, man, this is a great product for me. I was thinking about building this. This is one of those things I don't think you should consider building. Like this is a whole level of everything. And I run into this a lot with Gigabook. They're like, well, we're thinking about building our own scheduling component. Don't, don't, man. <laughs> yeah. There's a bunch of stuff out there that for a more than reasonable price, and they're going to keep up with all the complexity unless you're ready to have like a compliance department uh, alongside, you know, to, to service one portion of your software platform. It's probably better to check out what, check hq does andrew thank you so much for joining me man and i'll catch up with you down the road likewise no thanks for having me on this is a lot of fun 
Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.